In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Tim Benal. Thank How you. How are we doing? Are I'm, we... I'm doing well. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you so much for filling in for the Jeffrey. Oh, don't worry about it. We're show, We're doing the show now, right? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have thanked you so quickly. Yes, Tim, we're doing the show now. I can never tell what's going on <laughs> around here. I want to just uh, first assure all of the great Paratopia listeners that with me as the first guest co-host you can only go up from here it can only improve so the great guest co-hosting experiment is off to a rousing start and destination upward <laughs> now. so Thanks. that's good that's it's always good to put a disclaimer about yourself out there because <laughs> <laughs> well all the people that are like oh fuck man you starting with banal it's good though because then like i said it's only going to get you know it's only going to keep getting better after this. Well, the thing this is, is anyone, anyone you put on, everyone's going to be like, oh, it's not Jeff, it's not the same. Well, yeah, that's true. It's like Laverne without Shirley. <laughs> I, I like to think of it as Squiggy without Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hello. Well, I really, also, I really appreciate the Paratopia tote bag that I got as a sure. guest co-host. Yeah. With an autographed copy of I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land and a Paratopia t-shirt. No and the extra space for me to steal office supplies. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm the, cleaning uh, this place out. The candied fruit is uh, in, is in the mail. <laughs> candied fruit? You ever have oh, that? Oh, No, no. I'm, I'm imagining like that hard candy you get. That's like no, strawberry it's like flavor. a basket full that. of fake fruit with like sugar on it. It's like sugar within sugar and none of it tastes good somehow. <laughs> Oh, I think I've seen that stuff. Yeah, it's like a jelly almost. Yeah. I think I just dated myself because maybe they don't even make that anymore. Yeah. It's a little old school, but well, hey, thank you for having me on as the uh, as the first guest co-host. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, well, uh, what have you uh, What have you been up to? Not much, to tell you the truth. Working a lot, uh, off-site work, and kind of getting a little burned out. Uh, this late into season five without a break, so I'm actually going to be taking a break soon. So I'm almost kind of like in vacation mode. Oh, do you need me to now. host your show while you're gone? <laughs> I don't need it's like musical chairs or anything. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep doing the Lost Cast with you, so <laughs> at see. least we'll have that going on. But uh, we'll, we'll break the news to everyone now. We'll probably won't have a guest on the Lost Cast this week because 
uh, as I said, I'm already sort of in vacation mode, so I'm, I'm tabling, chasing people down for now. But we'll have a lot to discuss anyway. So for people who don't know, Tim and I are doing a uh, uh, what I like to call the Losturbation Show. It's it's a uh, lost podcast that we do to go. Oh my God, what do you think's going on now during this, the final season of Lost? Yes, and it usually pretty much devolves down into what do you think's going on with this? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> so I if think you want to hear us say I don't know for like a half hour. Uh, head on over to Banal of America. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, nothing really. I'm planning on putting out one more episode here uh, this coming week with Ken Thomas, and then I'm going to relax for a couple weeks, and then I'm going to start taping new interviews and come back at the end of March. So we usually take a hiatus in the middle of the season, so it's it's right on time, and I'm just burned out. Hmm. It was a crazy month of January, and now February's just gone by very fast. Anything new in the world of ufology that's worth talking about? Uh, no. <laughs> I haven't heard anything new or exciting. The I will say I, that... I found exciting is the Weber-Sala debacle. Uh, because, you know, we were we were making fun of Michael Sala quite a bit on the show um, because he, he, had, um, he had presented a photo of an, an alleged alien that was clearly a middle-aged or older-aged white man um, in shorts and a t-shirt on vacation somewhere. Uh, like literally that was, it was like a photo of your uncle. Uh, what made it an alien? This could be an alien. Uh, I don't know what made it an alien was supposedly he was 10 feet tall because he was standing in front of a, a small tree. (laughs) 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 And that was it. It was like, he could be 10 feet tall or this could be a small tree from home Depot. Definitely one oh my of the God. Two. So this is Michael Sala, who is now saying that Alfred Weber has gone overboard uh, with his, I don't know, whatever his take is on, on what's going on in Mars. Funny thing about that is Alfred Weber, as I have famously pointed out over and over again, um, believes that the World Trade Center towers were taken down with reverse-engineered um, alien beam technology by our government. So apparently, you know, he's been saying that for, what, the last eight, nine years, and and that's fine. That's not going overboard. But whatever his take on Mars is, apparently, is one step too far for disclosure. So there's been a mutiny on the bounty, sort of led by Michael Sala to uh, to oust Alfred Weber. Not according to yeah. Sala. He's sort of trying to back off and say, I never said that, but um, frankly, who cares? It's just fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it really, I'm surprised it took this long for this sort of, you know, infighting to happen in the exopolitical field. So, you know, it's been it's been a long time coming, I guess, because, I mean, well, I was going to mention that uh, we're coming up on, well, actually, it's been five years since the first ex-conference, so this will be like the sixth year. And I'm disappointed that they've moved it to right in the city of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Very disappointed. I would have actually attended, hmm. but I don't want to go and stay in the city. It's going to be expensive. I kind of liked it in the quaint little hotel outside of D.C. You've been to that one, right? Yeah, well, they can't pay their bill is the problem. That's your... Uh, <laughs> I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, I don't no, know that what is the fact. I mean, Steve Bassett sent out an email to everyone saying, um, we can't pay the bill. This is what we. This is what the hotel oh, says okay. we owe them. Um, now, I would, now, he was basically saying what I would argue is that we've given them so much money indirectly through, you know, people being there to pay for dinner and, you know, use those hotel rooms and whatnot that, uh, that we don't actually owe them this cash. Um, but unfortunately the law being what it is, 
I'm yeah. assuming he signed a contract that says he does, in fact, owe them. Well, I really liked it there. and Now, I feel like, to use an overused uh, cliche, I'd feel like my childhood was being raped if I went to the ex-conference at a different location now. I'd be like, <laughs> you know... Because those were sort of like the quaint early days of, of Benal before I even got mixed up in all this when I was just a attendee. When you were just so, a tad tadpole Benal? Yeah, when I barely, you know, when I didn't know who was who and who was how. <laughs> so when you were when you were back in your formative stages of Benaldom, uh, and you went to something like that, did you were you taken in by people automatically who you now think, oh, I wish I hadn't been taken in by them, or? Did you have sort of a common-sense wits about you? I had a pretty common-sense wits about me because I knew going into it. I had been sort of interested in the field for like a year and a half to two years, so I already knew like that people were either like – a lot of people were kind of crazy or fucking smarmy. There's a certain smarminess too that's sort of like – I wouldn't know anything uh, about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like – the people can the people that can name like the starting lineup of the '69 Mets, you know, same type of people, but with UFOs and stuff, right. you know, where it's like, God, I don't even know. They know like some random witness from Roswell or something, and they start bringing crap up that I, you know, my eyes just gloss over. So I tried to I tried to avoid both of those style of people just because, you know, I don't need to be talked down to by someone who's like super obsessive about this stuff. Who did you uh, go with? All by myself. Wow. Well, it's not that big a deal. It's just a trip to D.C. Yeah, but it's a big deal. I'm not eight years old. Big, big, yeah, but it's a big deal to go to <laughs> D.C. To a, to a UFO conference for the first time by yourself, I think. Yeah, that's true. But I didn't want to travel like all the way out to California, which is like a night, you know. I went to the one in Vegas a few years ago, and aside from the flight, it was great. But it was just like, that's a long-ass flight to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And, you know. So to, that it was in D.C. was, like, the main reason I went. And I think we talked about this last time I was on your show, and the, they had all these stars and shit the first year, where it was, like, Jim Mars, Rich Dolan, Linda Moulton Howe, Hoagland, like, everybody, everybody you would want to see live. Because mm-hmm. back then it was, like, for me back then, these were, like, celebrities and shit. They weren't, like, people that I have on my show or anything like that. Mm-hmm. These were, like, people I've heard on the radio a million times and sort of, like, it was sort of like the equivalent of going to like a like a like a Woodstock or a, or a Lollapalooza or something, you know. Where it's like I can see all these different bands in one weekend. It's kind of like that. <laughs> was it packed? It was pretty packed. Yeah. You see, this it was a good turnout. Yeah, when I when I went the couple of times I went, uh, it seemed to be pretty packed, and I, so I don't understand how they're losing so much money. I mean, he always says like attendance was low, but then when I'm there, it seems pretty much sold out for most of it. Yeah, but it costs a lot to put people up in hotels and shit, speakers and stuff. When you're putting on a conference, like, even if you don't pay them that much to speak, they still have to, you still have to get them there and still have to put them up in a hotel. And that costs, like, hmm. in the hundreds of dollars. And then for a whole weekend event like that, you probably had to bring in, like, at least a dozen people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's, like, 700 bucks for each person to bring them in and everything and put them up. Yeah, that's true. You know, you're talking, like... I don't know, a lot of money. <laughs> He's talking like at least a grand for like seven people, just for all their, way more than that. I, I probably completely botched the math. but Now, have you decided anyway. uh, whether or not you're going to have Bassett on your show? Uh, I've considered it. I thought about it. I probably will eventually. Um, you know, but it's just like, 
I'm kind of just disappointed with the way everything's gone with, with that whole branch of the field. And I just gotten more and more cynical. When I started out, I was really on board with the whole exopolitics thing, which mm-hmm. is sort of like kind of makes my whole turn of turn of, of face or whatever, you know, all the more sad, I guess, in a way for me. So it's just like I started out where I was like, these guys are on the right track. We got to get political about this, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the more I learned about it, I was like, ah, shit, you know, <laughs> we're not going to, they're not getting any closer. This has been going on forever. They keep telling me that it's inevitable, but nothing ever happens. And now I'm talking to all these other people that are telling me. Who in that movement would you recommend, though? Because, I mean, when I look at the, the cavalcade of people coming out of there, None of them seem credible to me. Now, I guess maybe Greer presented himself credibly when he first came on the scene or something. Uh, I wasn't around then, so I don't know. But, you know, now he's a buffoon, and I can't imagine Michael Sala was ever anything but a buffoon. Um, so who, you know, and then Weber is the other one who just <laughs> opens his mouth and you hear mental illness. So, <laughs> at least I do. <laughs> uh, so who would you recommend? Who would you look to to say, yeah, that's going to be the guiding light of, of this movement? Of exopolitics? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe Leslie Keene. She's, like, barely involved in exopolitics, I think, but she's well, sort of she doing it on a more... Well, decided to not involve any of them in her thing. I mean, yeah. I would say, yeah, I'd say you're right, but I mean, just in that... And the thing that initially attracted you to exopolitics, who did you look at and say, yep, that's that's good stuff? Probably, I guess, Bassett, maybe. I'm trying to remember now. It's hard to remember that far back. But maybe him and then before... I really started listening to Weber. All I knew was that he was, like, mixed up in the Carter administration and stuff. So that sort of carried some weight until I started to hear some of the crazy stuff he was saying. You know what I mean? Where it's like, well, this, I think whoa, is this, what we're this guy hear. was with the Carter administration. So, you know, it's pretty cool that they have this guy. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, yeah. he's just another UFO guy. I think this is what we're going to sort of get at with Wester in our interview, which we uh, have pre-taped. So... Make no illusions about that. Um, oh, I was going to pretend like... <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm really looking forward to talking to him. <laughs> well, I was going to do that and then until I realized I wanted to make this point, is that, uh, which already happened, is that he talks about um, exopolitics, that there are certain people in Bulgaria, or a person in Bulgaria, who's sort of famous there, but is he believes is trying to make a name for himself um, by saying crazy things to get international attention to become a darling of the exopolitical movement. And it strikes me that that's probably what all these guys do. I mean, Weber included, you know, it's probably like what you, you hear that credential and that's completely attractive. So you give them a spotlight and you give them a microphone and you let them write books. And then slowly but surely it dawns on you. Oh, right. I'm listening to complete crap. Yeah. Well, you kind of can follow along that with the guy from Canada there that yeah. came out and they jumped on him for a while. And then Fife Symington, so here's my like, question for you about that. Is that, oops, oops, I did it again, or is that by design? Is that the way that this business works? Um, do they really want disclosure, or do they just want the business of wanting disclosure? That's an interesting question, because in a sense, disclosure is like self-defeating for them. Because if they got disclosure, then they'd fucking be left to with nothing to do. So it's like, if anything, you should be <laughs> working against disclosure so you can keep having your conferences and stuff. Well, doesn't it seem like they are working against disclosure when you look at their conferences? Well, I do wonder about that. I think that, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on with, with that whole scene. It seems like it's sort of, 
it has the best intentions, but then it's sort of like, mis- I feel like it's misguided in a way, where it's like the government doesn't really, A, probably doesn't really know what the fuck's going on, and B, they don't care to let you know. Right. So it's just not happening. The only way it's really going to ever break in an organic sort of way that isn't done on, the, on behalf of the aliens is like if they crash somewhere, you know, like in Detroit or something. Well, if like, you really on the show, uh, the, one, the only question... Um, I can't justify having him on the show to ask this, but the one question I would have for him, and I think the only question, is who are your sources? Who are your mysterious sources that are giving you these dates? Because he, I, I've seen him in enough interviews now where he says, you know, Obama's going to disclose, and I base this on media and other sources. You know, and he makes it sound like he has sources. And he said this at his conference where he made it sound as though he had some sort of inside source. Who? He won't tell you who his sources are, though. But there is none, is the, I think, the answer. Like, who in their right mind is going to Steve Bassett and saying, yeah, I've got the real, I've got the real deal here? I mean, what person who knows anything goes to Steve Bassett, goes to Greer, goes to Salah, goes to any of these guys with real information? Who? Who does that? I mean, what would be the benefit? Yeah, but you have to look at it from the perspective, too, that, like, you can fool all the people some of the time type of thing. If they got all these people showing up at their conference and everything, there's some people that are on board, even if they're in the government. I'm sort of taking the devil's advocate that this guy does have sources. I mean, he could just be making it up. So, I mean, that's one well, possibility. Well, can't be good sources if, if the disclosure hasn't happened that he promised would already. Like, so at that point, I mean, at what point would... How about this? If you had a secret source who was giving you bogus information, um, how long would you give him before you would out him? I don't know if I'd necessarily out him. I'd probably just sort of stop caring or believing in what You're the one, you're the one whose ass is on the line. You're the one who's... Oh, like I already said a bunch of shit that he told me, yeah. theoretically? Yeah. Oh. Wouldn't you eventually be like, screw this, I'm not protecting this guy anymore. He's he's hanging me out to dry. Probably like after like the third time it happened. <laughs> you know? How's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but, see, but see, it would happen is the point. Like, wouldn't it? I mean, that's like a normal human reaction would be to say, screw you, I'm... Uh, you screwed me for the last time. But these guys yeah. never do. Why? I submit to you because there are no inside sources. It's it's reasonable to conclude that. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I don't really uh, – I haven't really thought about it much. I just kind of think, like, if they can dupe enough people, then there must be people inside that probably are on board with this whole disclosure thing and think that they're playing – like, think that they're doing something by telling these guys this stuff. Mm-hmm. That sounded like it didn't make any sense, but <laughs> and and you know, so I'm bewildered by the whole thing because I just don't think that disclosure is going to happen. And I've now we've watched this unfold now for like five years, at least this whole like exopolitical branch now. And they tried they've tried all this different stuff and nothing's worked. So I'll be interested to see how it developed. Now there's infighting, mm-hmm. which is a whole new twist to this thing. So. I wouldn't be surprised if we go another five years and this thing is just completely imploded. Oh, I guess the other thing that happened around the same time now is um, that Greer finally released uh, a photograph of an alien. Did you see this? Was it a guy in Bermuda shorts? <laughs> no, no, this was even... Dueling, was, we have dueling photos now? Well, we have dueling laziness for photos because one guy is a guy in Bermuda shorts uh, in the daytime and the other one is a tree in the nighttime. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's literally you're looking at a piece of shrubbery 
Uh, but he's got, I mean, he's got analysis of it and all this stuff. And you just look at it and you go, wow, is this competition for crazy with Michael Sala? I mean, there's no, there's no even guesswork that like of what you're looking at. To tie um, this in then to kind of what I was just saying, then maybe that maybe now we're seeing, maybe it's been like five years since they seriously committed to being a movement pretty much, you know, five or six years and they haven't really advanced this thing any further than they did when they first started, despite a million facts movement and God knows how much pressure on the government. And so now maybe we're, they're turning towards desperate measures. So now like the, their backs against the wall to start producing stuff because they haven't. And first we saw the claims of disclosure that were going to happen and now we're seeing these photographs, and it's like maybe they're just starting to freak out a little bit. Not you know, not outward, not like, not like they're saying it or whatever, but psychologically they're like, you know, we haven't delivered on anything, so let's. They're desperate for for evidence or whatever, so they'll take whatever they can get, type of thing. You know, to try and stave off the yeah. <laughs> the eventuality that people are going to start turning in. Opinions like ours. Well, I think that like, is what's happening. Know. What I find odd about that in Greer's case is that he had sort of backed off for a while and was just talking about free energy to buy this. So he could have just kept on that merry little path and uh, stayed away from the C-SETI stuff, but he went right back to it. Now he's locked into that bullshit again. So Yeah, but aliens and UFOs are like a thousand times sexier than free energy. <laughs> Especially when he's talking about them. <laughs> so, and like I said, uh, if if we're seeing the cracks starting to form now in the movement, it's like they're under all this pressure. They haven't delivered yet. Now there's gonna now there's starting to be this finger pointing, and I wouldn't be surprised if these these factions and and things start developing even worse. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can only hope because they at least they're calling each other out for a change instead of us having to do it. Yeah. But to what end, who knows? Ah, crap. Well, I just can't wait for them to dissolve, uh, for the whole thing to implode, and then see what comes next. Because to me, to my way of thinking, this is an extension of the Contact E-movement. You know, what what would be... I can't even imagine what would be next. I think you'll see more of a Bill Cooper-esque twist to what's left of that faction or fandom, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think then it'll turn into a... Uh, a heavy emphasis on the cover-up, and they'll just sort of become cover-up researcher type types with more extreme sort of stories and stuff, kind of like what we're seeing with these pictures, but, you know, more of that. Mm. So I think it'll turn into that, because they're not going to all of a sudden turn into, like, nuts and bolts UFO investigators. Right. So they either leave the field, or they become, like, ardent, pushers, they're already ardent pushers of a government cover-up aspect of it. Mm-hmm. In their minds, it's a fact. So, I mean, yes, the government's covered up some aspects of the UFO phenomenon, but we really don't know the, the, the width and the breadth of this cover-up at all. Right. They could just be covering up the fact that they figured out how to make anti-gravity or something. Yeah. You know, there could be no aliens it. at all. There could be no ETs whatsoever. But if you talk to some of these people, it's like, that's a fucking fact, man, <laughs> which is the frustrating part, which is sort of like why when you ask me if I would have Steve on the show again, it's like I'll pretty much interview anybody for the most part as long as they're not, like, spewing hatred and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just sort of frustrating because 
I feel like I'm, I'm, I deeply disagree with some of the fundamental aspects of the exopolitical movement. And I don't know how, I don't know how well that conversation would go. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of easy going. I don't like to get all conflicty right. to be, to channel my inner Sarah Palin. <laughs> but, so I try to avoid the conflict, but, you know, that I'm afraid that it would break down into that kind of thing if I was just like, you know, don't you think you're doing a disservice to everybody by making these outrageous claims without any sort of backup and then saying there's going to be disclosure and mm-hmm. I mean the only good thing they've done is really just get a lot of press coverage which I guess is good but at the end of the day people see the press coverage and it never lasts or never goes anywhere mm-hmm. and so it's like we've been getting press coverage for years dude so we're not getting any further on this Yeah, we need to just change the whole paradigm but that's if anything ufology you probably go into some kind of fucking slump like a complete dark ages if it's not already in there mm-hmm. and out of that will emerge hopefully like a new ufology that's more theoretical mm-hmm. at some point the eth thing just completely took over the ufo thing it was like at some point they said they, they figured they figured it out <laughs> it's like no you know you never did you never figured it out dude so stop saying that it's ETH. It's a possibility, but it's not any more possibility than a half dozen other things it right. could be. Well, let me you can't just, just throw the other ones out. Leave you with this, and then we'll get to Wester. Um, there's um, a TV producer, and I think film, but he's mostly done, I think, music videos and various shows, um, directed and produced. Um, his name's Dan Halperin, um, and he is trying to slap together. Um, pilot episode of basically my idea, which was like just to hook up an abductee's home with a bunch of cameras and have yep. it be a reality series. Um, someone had suggested me or put me a, 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 along with a bunch of other people in this mailing list. I haven't responded. I'll just throw it out there. Do you, do you think I should? Paratopia, I mean, the only reason that I even would, even would think about it is the reason that I wouldn't think about it, which is that... Um, at least one person, the most vocal person on this emailing list, um, and I won't embarrass her by saying her name, but she's, um, I don't think she's an abductee. I think she is um, a new age Fruit Loop. I think she will do anything to be on TV, as she makes very clear in her email exchanges. Um, And so part of me is like, I don't want to be associated with that. And then the other part of me is like, well, but if anyone's going to bring some goddamn truth to this, uh, maybe you have a job to try, you know, but yeah. then it's reality TV. So probably I'll get edited to just look like funny fat guy or something, you know, uh, or, you know, obviously I, I would be doing my stupid Tai Chi stuff or energy stuff, right? If this camera's in my home. So, um, I'll probably just end up looking like a bozo in the end anyway. So I probably shouldn't throw my name into that ring. Should I? So I don't know. Come to the message board. Let me know what you think. Um, I at least know that it's um, a real production company and a real uh, director producer. It's not some it's not some weirdo who wants to put cameras in your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse, I would not do it, dude. I would definitely not do it. Yeah, I don't think I would either. <laughs> there's just too much. There's just too much margin for error and margin for. Yeah, I think I'd have to be in the editing room. You know, right? Like, I don't and you I won't be. You know, they won't like. You know, they'll take the cameras down and be like, "See you later." We'll email you when it's on TV. Yeah. And then, then you fucking watch it. And you're like, 
Oh, I'm, uh, like, oh, I'm yeah. Stan <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you have like weirdo experts like analyzing your midnight snack behavior and shit. <laughs> you, you know, and they're like, what do you think it says about Jeremy that he got up at two in the morning and had that bowl of cereal? <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is not what I was hoping for at all. <laughs> I miss my father. Is there anything else we should talk about? Nope, that's it. Wes Owsley. Please welcome back to the show our very special guest, Wester Owsley. Wester, thank you for coming back. My pleasure. So last time you were on the program, uh, we talked about uh, the problems of there being a super secret space program. And you'd mentioned that you were going to start investigating Bulgaria, um, this, this Bulgarian UFO flap. Um, so we definitely want to learn about that, but first, I gotta, <laughs> it's funny, I've been watching a lot of, uh, NASA stuff on the National Geographic channel, and, um, we talked about it a little bit privately, I think it's, what, the Omega mission that they wanted to do in 2020 that I think Obama probably cut at this point, but it seemed like a huge rigmarole of, first, this booster, you know, to, to get back to the moon, you've, you've got two rockets, and one of them has to lose a couple of boosters, and... And solar panels have to extend, and then the other rocket fires, and then they have to somehow hook up over the atmosphere of the moon, and it seems like a big suicide mission to me. Uh, and and I, would, I was watching this, and I was thinking, boy, if, if ever there were a time to just come out and say we have super-secret space technology, that would be the time. So, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the, the more you see of these sorts of things in the way that NASA's going, um, the directions that they would like to take, the space program, does it look to you more or less like there could be a secret space program? Well, it would be a lot easier to hop in the UFO, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, well, first of all, when we spoke, you, you sort of threw me. Uh, it's actually the Orion Project oh, I'm sorry. Um, that, that you were talking about. The Omega Project is a real project, but it has something to do with the, uh, the, the Earth, ocean, and algae and developing fuel from algae or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the Orion project. Uh well, if it if it happens now because of the budget cuts um that have cost unfortunately may cost a lot of people the jobs here in the state where I'm at because this is the uh, the northern part of my state is sort of the production facility for that launch vehicle. Um the thing about the Orion project is that there was a, a huge emphasis on uh crew survivability in the case of an emergency. And so, hence, you have sort of stage after stage of built-in, just-in-case problems happen, we can, we can say, still save the crew. And so, yeah, it, it does seem complicated. Um, well, it and, seems like stage after stage of things that can go wrong to me. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, things that probably would, would, you know, you're building in more problems. And so... It, to me, it just proves my point that exactly what you just said, if there was ever a time to pull the stuff out of the closet, this is now, and uh, it's not happening. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I'm not a big proponent of the secret space program, but I entertain the notion. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, and uh, I would presume that the people – now, you probably would know if I'm wrong about this, so please correct me. But I would presume that, like, the people at NASA who are actually in charge, like the engineers and stuff, of getting to the moon and stuff, they probably would have no idea about any sort of secret uh, technology that probably would be possessed by some other part of the government, like, you know, the military or somewhere else. 
Well, Tim, uh, the the thing is, is that um, I would agree. I agree with you, but the problem with that is, and, and it's the point I've been trying to make for for a while, is that getting a vehicle of any type into space is a mammoth effort. Yeah. And there are there are measurable resources that are used um, in order to do that. You know, and the problem I've always had with the idea of there being the secret space program. And I guess we should caveat with, you know, we're not talking about satellites here. Yes, there are secret satellites in orbit we don't know anything about. Sure, they exist. Yeah, we mean like secret government UFOs. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, the problem is is that those have to be built. And the, gov- the government has known sources for the materials needed to build those. And sort of you can trace, it's easily traceable, it's public information, where those chemicals and materials and mineral uh, resources go. And it's not to, you know, Area 51. It's just not yeah. happening. So, um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. If, there, if the United States military had something, NASA wouldn't know about it. But uh, with all, I would presume with uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, I think, is that the United States actually operates a what's called a constellation of telescopes, which are throughout the world, and they can sort of, they monitor, let's say, low Earth, or, low Earth orbit and see what's going on. And I've actually seen, had the privilege of seeing, in, seeing some of the results of those optics, and I can tell you that you see in TV... And on movies, you always see the satellite that can, like, read a nickel or something like that, read a newspaper over a guy's shoulder. Yeah. But to me, the stuff that looks up is much more interesting. Um, I have seen these satellites zero in and read the serial number off of a part on a satellite. Wow. So um, I would think that if the United States military were flying stuff in orbit, someone somewhere would have seen it and they would have told everybody that's true yeah yeah well like i said i only entertain the notion part of me sort of there's two parts you know there's the part like all the stuff you're saying which is like clearly this <laughs> clearly this is a crazy idea but then the other part of me just sort of wishes that it was true i mean don't we all kind of wish that they did have a secret space program because part of me sort of hates nasa dude i hate to be a killjoy here in, in my guest host spot but like Ever since they stopped going to the moon, it's like they don't do anything anymore. No one's excited about them anymore or anything like that. Well, no, you know, and the th- the greatest enemy of NASA is that things appear to become routine. And, um, you know, I, I see exactly where you're coming from, but at the same time, uh, having been, having worked on the inside uh, and knowing how difficult I mean, it's really difficult. Oh, I know. To, to no, keep, no, no, no. I mean, you know, yeah. to keep you know the International Space Station uh, flying and manned, and you know, and and work on finishing construction. It takes. It's very difficult. Let alone you know treaties that have to be signed and and contracts that have to be signed and all the negotiations. Not to mention crew training and. I mean, it, it's just it's a huge mammoth effort, and you know the one thing that I, I said before when I was on Paratopia, which, you know, I think is, is becoming even more true, 
is that in the very near future, uh, you know, the private industry, uh, private spacecraft are going to become, you know, the low Earth orbit, the sort of, you know, a virgin galaxy thing that's going on. And um, private industry is going to take over space flight, and, in my opinion. And I think that that's when you're going to start seeing the secret space program. When it can be outsourced to Boeing or Lockheed, you know, or SAIC, oh, yeah. that's when that's when all of the, the stuff is going to happen, I think. Yeah. I think part of my disenfranchisement with NASA is just that I'm only like 30, so I miss the whole moonshot thing. And I just wish they would do more. But like you said, I mean, they're doing so much stuff that I probably just take it for granted, like, that they actually have a space station and stuff. You know what I mean? Sure, and it's you know, and I'm not I'm not much older, uh, and with and and with the you know the retirement of the shuttle program, uh, is NASA's at least on the the space flight side of of the house right now is is kind of sort of going through a reboot. Yeah, and and, and so yeah. Although I do, yeah, like, just, uh, so I like the Hubble, and I can't wait to see the next phase of the Hubble, and I can't remember what that's called, but it's uh, going to see. Further, it's going to be able to see what planets in other galaxies. That's the that's the goal. Yeah, so that's fascinating to me. I mean, that almost seems more worthwhile a mission than trying to get men to Mars. Don't you think? It's at least accessible. Well, yeah, isn't well, that a big problem too in NASA? This whole robots versus humans sort of factional factionalization in space. You know, in space exploration, that some people want to use humans and some don't, and all that. Well, the problem is, is that. Uh, there, what you ha- what you see, you know, the crux of that whole argument is the relationships between the different centers. You know, so JSC at Johnson Space Center in Houston, you know, that's sort of the hub and home of the Mission Operation- Operations Directorate, which uh, runs the shuttle program pretty much in, in the International Space Station program from the American side. And that's, of course, Mission Operations is also the home of the Astronaut Corps. So you're going to see, uh, you know, all of the pundits for JSC pushing for bigger, better, faster, more, you know, more funding, more astronauts, um, more crew training. And then you'll have your, your other centers, such as, you know, Ames or Goddard or, um, well, I, I'm not, uh, Marshall maybe. Uh, that, is, that is more um, stuff. Uh, you know, they get their money by building stuff and, and bigger and better, f- faster stuff, not people. And so, uh, in my opinion, that's, that's sort of what you see right there. You see a little in, infighting going on with that situation. Um, you, now, you've had a little more time, obviously, since the last episode to check out Mars and moon anomaly photos. Is there anything in those at all that you or any of your colleagues have ever said, yeah, that could be something, or is it all just the way these people are shading in surfaces on the photos? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, there is, there's nothing that I've ever seen on the moon that that uh, is anything other than shades or or um, uh, sort of photo anomalies. Um, on the Mar on the Mars stuff, of course, uh, the face in Mars, I think, is probably just shades. I don't think it's an actual face, but the thing is, is that everybody keeps telling me that there are 
there are photos of sort of pyramid-like structures, mm-hmm. but I've never been able to actually see that. So, um, when you say everyone tells you, you mean people in NASA? Uh, no, no, no. Well, yeah, some people who work for NASA tell me that there are these photos, but uh, most of it is actually coming from people I talk to on the internet or or friends. Mm-hmm. But I've never been able to see them, so I, I don't know. Uh, everybody tells me that photos exist, but nobody can produce them. Huh. Well, we'll just we'll let it hang there. Um, let's get into Bulgaria now. What made you um, decide to check out Bulgaria, and, and what did you find? Well, um, actually, my wife is from Bulgaria. We were um, just sort of to refresh everyone. Um, I was the in-country systems administrator for NASA Mir five, six, and seven, and did crew training and support for the first three crews of the International Space Station. And uh, in that capacity, I was stationed at the United States Embassy in Moscow. And uh, I met and married my wife there, who's, who was a fellow expatriate, and uh, she's from Bulgaria. And so she and I uh, actually have a home there in the city of Varna. Um, and so there's my sort of where my interest begins. Um, but the one thing that I did notice is that, especially in the United States, things that go on abroad, uh, with the exception of Tim's show, Tim is pretty good about uh, talking to um, U- UFO researchers in other parts of the world. You know, as, Thanks, buddy. as yeah, I mean, you guys, <laughs> you've had some really, yeah, you've had some real <laughs> interesting guests on your show uh, from Sweden and different places. So, uh, what I did find though is that there was there was sort of a huge amount of activity going on over the Balkans, uh, and uh, when we last spoke, you know, there had been um, a lot of activity going on uh, in sort of the center of the country, and. Uh, I found it very interesting because uh, a lot of people might not know this, but the United States is currently building three military bases in Bulgaria. They're building, a, uh, a, I should say, joint operations bases, but they're pretty much manned only by Americans. There's a Navy base that's being built actually in Varna. There's an Air Force base that's being built in the town of outside of the town of Veliko Tornovo in the sort of the center of the country. And right outside of Sofia, there's going to be a United States Army base. And uh, as that sort of construction began and you started seeing uh, the beginnings of the United States Black Sea Fleet moving into Port Varna, and you started seeing increased military activity, people, uh, U.S. airplanes flying out of Veliko Tornovo to go to Iraq or, or Afghanistan, sort of the UFO activity sort of picked up. And that's sort of where we left it last time. Um but now, you know, uh, I don't know if any of your listeners have been paying attention, but there was a mass UFO sighting in Bulgaria on New Year's Eve. And so outside of Sofia, uh, I think probably hundreds, if not thousands of people saw it. Oh, wow. Um, there were uh, also in, the, in January, there was increased activity actually in the town of Varna where uh, my wife's family is from and where we have our home, uh, all the way from New Year's Eve, all the way into sort of the middle of the, um, v- just Varna is a, is a sea, so big, big beach town and uh, it's on the Black Sea coast. And uh, over the Black Sea, 
uh, off of Varna and in um, sort of over to the east of, excuse me, to the west of Varna, uh, increased UFO activity throughout uh, January. And then we have the whole Filipov situation, which I'm sure you might want to talk about. Um, sure. What is it? Oh, uh, so, okay. Sounds good. Okay. Well, one of the story is that the associate, one of the associate directors of the Bulgarian, uh, space research Institute, um, announced to the world that, uh, the Bulgarian, Space Research Institute was in contact with aliens and that they were among oh, us. Oh, I think I heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, recently, yeah. And then, um, some of the, some of the stories about the guy have come out, you know, that, you know, then he disappeared for 10 days after he said that. And now nobody can get an interview with him and, and that stuff. So I've sort of been following that and researching that. I got diverted by that. So I can imagine. Jesus. Well, who was this cat? He just made some announcement and then disappeared. Well, the the story I got from friends of mine in Bulgaria is that apparently there was a press conference which nobody attended. Um, Sounds like an exopolitics conference. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, actually, the interesting thing, if you know, his name is uh, his name is Doctor Filipov. It's spelled F I L I P O V, and if you Google it. Um, all you'll find is, you know, sort of the exopolitics uh, websites have picked up on it. The interesting thing is, is that the story goes that there was a press conference and um, aliens were present and they answered questions from reporters. Uh, Jesus. Now, nobody can find anybody who attended that press conference. Um, nobody knows... When the press conference was exactly, um, there's a few sort of YouTube videos and and stuff of of American um, sort of radio show hosts and, and podcast hosts doing interviews with apparently with this guy. Um, I've never met him. I have met some of the people at the Bulgarian Space Research Institute in my in my old job in that capacity, but I, I don't necessarily know what to make of it. Um, the well, thing with did the press conference take place? I mean, when you say there's no record of it, it, it uh, sounds well, outlandish. Can't we just put those two together? Yes. I, well, I think that's what I think. Uh, a lot of people have ran, ran with that story, but uh, I can't prove that it ever happened. And you know, and, and, and the thing is, is that the guy is actually. I mean, he is the director for international collaboration. Uh, with the Space Research Institute, that's what his job is. Um, he's not really a co-director. Um, so, you know, there, there's more there's more intrigue there than than that. I mean, you know, with the whole he, he disappeared thing, and then uh, apparently there was a letter put out to the media from him, written in perfect American English. That uh, that sort of People started calling me on that because they said, well, obviously, you know, this is – you automatically jump to the conclusion that this is disinformation or this, this is um, some sort of intelligence agency doing something. But to be honest with you, I think it's all just BS, <laughs> to, be, to be perfectly honest with you. And uh, 
Go ahead. Yeah, well, I do, do know you... I do know the story you're talking about now, and I remember seeing it um, on a forum. I do too. Yeah, I just looked it up. It, the it cosmetics. Was, <laughs> well, it was uh, the, the way it was framed was: Did disclosure happen already? And then, of course, the story that the media was invited, uh, and everything was disclosed, and for whatever reason, they aren't talking about it. And I just thought, well, you know, one of these disclosure people just are covering their own tails because they keep making these predictions on dates that never come to fruition. Now, do, do you, when you say that there's more intrigue than that, how how do you mean? Do you mean that you think that there is some things that happened here? That there is some... some Because I, I, I can't quite tell. It sounds like you're saying there's no fire to the smoke, but then on the other hand, you're saying that there's more intrigue. So Well, there is. I think what, what the intrigue is, is um, so the Bulgarian government is going through a big transition right now. In the November time frame, when this was going on, sort of there had been an election, and uh, the old government, which was essentially your typical Eastern European corrupt regime, was out uh, was ousted by a uh, the guy who had been the mayor of uh, Sofia, the the capital uh, city there, and uh, he is, uh, by all accounts, sort of kicking ass and taking names at this point. Um, just today, in fact, the European uh, authorities in Belgium have stepped in and have started assisting him with prosecuting the former government officials. Um, and so when I say intrigue, I think that what what I mean to say is is uh, that there's is more sort of internal, internal politics going on. Hmm. So it could have been just this guy kind of trying to cause problems or something? Uh, or get attention and and make money because uh, if you're you know if you're the former uh, head of uh, or supposed co-director of the Bulgarian Space Research Institute that had a press conference with aliens that aliens attended, uh, you could probably make a lot of money talking at exopolitics conferences. Do so you think that That's these true. Bulgarian scientists are aware of exopolitics? Oh yeah, absolutely. Bulgarians are, are aware. There's a there's a an organization called Exopolitics Bulgaria, and um, they take uh, they take the stuff pretty seriously. And I disagree with them there just as much as I disagree with them here. The interesting thing, though, I, I have to say, it's sort of an interesting phenomenon to watch. Is um, I've never actually been to. Uh, uh, a full-on UFO conference in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I can sort of imagine sort of what it's like, but <laughs> Jerry Springer without the chair throwing, right? Exactly. <laughs> but uh, the interesting thing, man, is in the Balkans, you know, or even in sort of Turkey or in, in Russia, you know, it's not uncommon for uh, UFO conferences to draw two thousand, three thousand, four thousand people. Gee, uh, we're living in the wrong country, Jeremy. Well. Yeah. And, and so, you know, uh, there was a, not too long ago, there was a uh, UFO conference in outside of Istanbul. And um, I think from what I was told uh, by my friend who actually went, it, it was about 2,500 people there. Jesus. Um, and, and that's just the audience. That doesn't count sort of the speakers and, and all that other thing. So uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Stan Freeman spoke with that one. But anyway, uh, it's it's a uh, this subject is taken pretty seriously in, in the Balkans, especially since there there's just sort of tons of activity that goes on. Hmm. 
Hmm. Are there UFO groups? Is there like a you know a MUFON of Bulgaria? There is. There's there are it's sort of loosely affiliated by town. Um, they suffer probably even worse than American organizations do for lack of funding. Uh, but uh, they do what they can, and there's I have several friends who are you know who dedicate a large portion of their lives to to researching and collecting reports and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we had spoken about, you know, the possibility of, of it being sort of a, uh, Marley Woods or Skinwalker Ranch portal type situation over there is, do you get the sense of that or do you think it's something else? No, there is, there is a, uh, it's, it's, again, it's, it's interestingly enough, uh, it's not too far from where the United States is building its air force base, uh, in, Veliko Tornovo, outside of Veliko Tornovo, which is Veliko Tornovo, for those who don't know, are is uh, it's a sort of a mountain town. It's a very old town. It's an ancient capital of the old Bulgarian kingdom, and and um, there is a region there which is sort of uh, akin to um, what I would consider to be the Marley Woods. You know, strange creature sightings. Um, uh, lots of activities, animal uh, cattle mutilations happen, uh, mostly with sheep, and uh, so yeah, and it's all concentrated in a sort of one geographic area. Interesting. What kind of strange creatures? Like Bigfoot? They have a version of Bigfoot. Uh, it's smaller, uh, has red hair, or more red, uh, reddish tinge to the hair, but they also see um, things like uh, I've I've been told that they have seen. Things that appear to be like really large sheepdogs uh, oh. that are that are saying sort of about a meter and a half, which is about oh four maybe four and a half feet tall uh, at the shoulder. And Jeez. I have been told by someone that uh, I spoke with there that uh, there was a guy out hunting and saw one of these things and took a shot at it. Was sure he hit it, and it just kept on walking and and. Uh, after a while, just disappeared. Hmm. And what about their aliens? Do they are they the little gray guys? Are they blondes? Are they something completely different? They're the combination of the grays and the Nordics. But uh, the vast majority of sightings that I've heard about where people actually saw aliens were the Nordic types. Hmm. Hmm. Wonder why that is. I'm not sure. Uh, it's you know the, here's here's the interesting thing about Bulgaria that you know. I want people to keep in mind is is um, Bulgarians are v- very superstitious people. My mother-in-law is a genetic genetic engineer. She's a brilliant lady, uh, and you know every year she still goes to a fortune teller. I mean, it's just it, it, it's a thing. It's a cultural thing, and you know I mentioned this because when people tell you that they've seen things, they attach they automatically attach these meanings to them. Yeah. So you you have to um, sort of sort through those things, mm-hmm. um, you know. And in it's interesting because in sort of Russia, when I lived there, and I spoke with people who'd actually seen a UFO uh, or claimed to have seen a UFO or claimed to have seen aliens, they were always sort of a more robotic type of thing, mm-hmm. more, and they seemed to be describing more of like an android thing. But um, in the in the case of the Balkans, everybody seems to that I have spoken with, sort of, you know, either it's the typical archetypical gray or it's or it's uh, the Nordic 
thing, which they they automatically, you know, uh, exceptionally tall, long blonde hair, um, which in the Balkans is you know out of place. Hmm. And do they do the same sorts of things that uh, we hear in the states? As far as abductions go, I mean, is it the, the stereotypical um, genetic testing narrative? Yeah, it is, and uh, there's a lot. There is sort of uh, a, a, an overtone of, of experimentation, and um, more. There, there seems to be a, a lot of uh, my friends that I've speak with that collect these stories. Who seem to think to believe from the accounts that there seems to be more of a collective type experience going on. Um, many of the reports that they have are, you know, that uh, when they get abducted, they actually see other people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in one case, I have a case of, there's a, there's a little village called Schumann, uh, which is sort of in the Eastern part of the country. And, um, the account is that a person felt uh, was abducted by aliens, was on a ship, uh, or believed that they were on a ship, and um, saw other people there. And then actually, after the experience, a couple of weeks later, actually ran into the person that they saw on the street, who was also from Schumann, and they both sort of remembered the, the same thing. Hmm. Wow. So I've that heard was stories the f- like that, but I didn't. It- uh, not what? specifically from Bulgaria. Now, what is okay. the? Oh, you got some more there. You want to go? Or? Well, no, no. I mean, I was just saying that that that's the first time that I've heard of people having that experience and then actually meeting in real life and and remembering it together. That's true, actually. Yeah, I've heard of stories where people get abducted and they see other people there. But now that you mention it, I don't know if I've ever heard of them like meeting later, except for that movie Taken. Happens <laughs> take. Um. Now what? Now you say the people of Bulgaria are superstitious and stuff. What is their reaction to this whole UFO phenomenon in general? Are they freaked out by it, or are they what? You know, what's up? Um, there's uh, just about in any country you have to separate sort of by age groups and by ethnicities and and that sort of thing. So um, Bulgaria has a large gypsy or Roma population, and for them, you know, it's it's sort of demons and you know, it's it's wicked spells and that kind of thing. For uh, most Bulgarians uh, are very sort of scientific-minded people, and so they're extremely interested in it and, you know, follow it. It's crazy to watch, uh, you know, Bulgarian TV and and see, you know, these, these really prominent scientists, you know, sort of Nobel laureate types, you know, discussing UFOs and stuff over there. Uh, it's taken very seriously, and, and, and it's a small country, so... So uh, you have a large concentration of, of really, you know, educated people who, who just sort of collectively throw their, throw the subject under the spotlight. Well, we definitely now, what was the wrong country? Jeez. Yeah, for sure. We need to get us an estate in Bulgaria. <laughs> now, what was the, what was now? If they take it this seriously and everything, then how, then how did they react when this dude went out and said he had a press conference and the aliens, and all that? Uh, that nope. like headline news, right? In Bulgaria, it was it was headline news in Bulgaria, and, and, uh, and uh, everybody thought he was crazy. Huh. Uh, no, no, nobody sort of believed it, uh, and no one thought that that I was. You know, first of all, the guy the guy basically comes out of the out of nowhere with with this 
just, you know, exclamation to the international press. And uh, so everybody thought it was just a sort of a money-making scheme. Huh. Well, yeah, wouldn't the press that's reporting on him saying that he's crazy know whether or not they were invited to a press conference? Uh, you would think. <laughs> and and um, uh, the interesting thing is the guy is sort of, for me, the telltale signs of what's going on is the guy is getting tons of press from the uh, from the international He's getting tons of media f- media coverage from the international press. Um, he's not getting anything at all inside of Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. He's sort of ignored, and so um, I think for me that's in a, in a country as enamored with the subject as that is, um, then I think that you know, yeah, that they're like embarrassed almost. They're like, exactly. oh, this kooky dude is now everyone thinks all Bulgarians are crazy. Exactly. Do the Bulgarians yeah. make the connection between the U.S. military bases and the rise in UFO sightings? Absolutely. Uh, all my friends uh, are are sort of uh, watching uh, just before, let's see, I want to say the first week of December, uh, sort of the first members of, of what is going to become the United States Black Sea Fleet uh, arrived at Port Varna and almost immediately uh, followed by uh, the sort of increased activity. So, you know, it's not a big jump. And it's not a huge leap to to think that, well, you know, the ships have showed up and, and now look. And so that's, that's a lot of people think it's, it's um, now there, there are, of course, the guys that I know that actually record reports uh, you know, are sort of getting just hammered with reports. But now they've uh, there's a guy who lives in a little town called Star Zagora, who's actually a trained um, military spotter, mm-hmm. uh, who has volunteered his services and he's been able to to start analyzing video and photos photos and say, oh no, it's that aircraft or that aircraft. So you know he's slowly working his way through those. Um, and with our activity in Afghanistan increasing now, Bulgaria is sort of, for the U.S. military, uh, like a lot of the Balkan countries, is sort of flyover territory to get to Afghanistan from Germany uh, or Italy. And so um, you're starting to see a lot of uh, you know, stealth aircraft and that kind of thing in the skies. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, so is this something, do you think that it will get to the point where the U.S. military will have to make a statement at some point and say, we're, we're not dealing with blondes, this is the stealth, nothing to see here? Uh, the United States, uh, well, the United States ambassador has already made a statement and said, you know, well, first of all, and I kind of don't understand, to be perfectly honest with you, what's going on, but um, he made a statement early or sort of late last year where... Uh, you know, he came out and he said, you know, the United States is not building military bases in Bulgaria. We're building joint operations bases in Bulgaria. So he's playing with semantics. Mm. And he's made several statements uh, about that uh, that sort of topic in the press. And then he has addressed um, UFO sightings and said, you know, that they were strictly simply UFO, United States aircraft flying over. Um and then with the whole situation that was, you know, the thing in Norway that happened, um, that sort of um, 
ignited the the flames of of uh, reporting in Bulgaria again, and now people have started to claim to see the same things. But I can't I can't over Bulgaria, but I can't uh, I can't verify any of that information. Mm-hmm. I find it kind of interesting that you say they take it wicked seriously there, and you contrast that with America, where they really don't take it too seriously. And at the end of the day, you know, they're not any closer than we are figuring all this UFO stuff out. So it kind of like, you know, in a cynical sort of way, it's like, well, shit, no matter what you do, you're not going to get to the bottom of this, whether you take it super seriously and really study this or, or completely dismiss it and marginalize it like what happens in America. It's like this thing's truly enigmatic. Well, yeah, and to me it's, I mean, Bulgaria is a good uh, case study for me. It's a microcosm of, of what's happening in the United States. And you're exactly right, Tim, if 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 they can't figure it out, um, or, you know, and not just, you know, Russia, for Christ's sake, it's the largest country in, on Earth. And, you know, it has more ge- you know geography than, you know, than you think you're going to fit four, uh, three or four of us of the United States is within the Russian Federation and uh, if not more and uh, you know they have more UFO sightings and reports than you know we've ever thought about and the Russians can't figure it out you know and and uh, so it just it just tells me that you know and having worked within the space program like you know it just confirms with me that that there is no agency anywhere who's hiding information about UFOs. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. Do you think at this point there's just this unspoken thing between countries that that, uh, yeah, there's this thing called UFOs. We don't know what it is. Let's just pretend that it doesn't exist and go on. I mean, do you get the sense that anyone even talks about it um, internationally? Or Offici- officially, uh, I would say nobody talks about it. Um, in, in an official capacity, there aren't summits about the UFO subject. I mean, to but, me, it would be it would be like um, you know, fish not talking about the boats. It's like we don't know what the boats are, <laughs> yeah. so we're just not going to ever talk about them. We're just going to agree to to keep silent. I'll, I'll, I'll let out one of the secrets uh, on your show. You have a sort of a Paratopia exclusive here. Mm. Uh, uh, <laughs> if you really want to know sort of what's going on and and uh, uh, where. The officials meet unofficially and and talk uh, amongst themselves in an unofficial capacity, and it's one of those things where sort of what what happens in the room stays in the room, mm-hmm. and where all of the unofficial negotiations happen is it's the Paris Air Show. It happens once a year. It's the largest air show air show on the planet, and every aerospace and, and space agency that exists is there. And wow. if it, if it's discussed. Uh, at all, uh, I would believe it would be discussed at the Paris Air Show. Hmm. Wow, interesting. Um, I just want to get back to Bulgaria for one sec here and, and ask, um, do they have a sense, the way we do, a chronology of like, okay, Roswell, um, and that happened, and that or Foo Fighters happened, and, and that sort of started the modern age of UFOs, or do they see this as, as having always been with us? What's What's sort of the typical start date for them of this stuff well i mentioned in um in my first uh, appearance on your show that there are actual sort of tomb paintings and cave paintings depicting what appear to be ufos in 
in Bulgaria. Um, so uh, the sense that I get is that they believe that this has been around forever. And, you know, as long as sort of we've been around and looking up, it's been there. And uh, now the modern age of sort of UFO studies for them sort of begins with um, after sort of post the post-World War II era uh, and the, the rebuild that happened because uh, uh, especially the western part of the country was severely bombed by the Allies in World War II because it was occupied by uh, Germans pretty much at the time. And uh, so there was a large wave of UFO sightings that happened uh, sort of in the 46, 47, 48 time frame. And for Bulgarians, that marks the beginning of Bulgarian ufology. Hmm. When they actually started sort of taking notes and taking reports and, mm-hmm. you know. And do they, do they see it as leading toward anything, building up toward something? Well, again, just like in any country, you know, there is the, there is the exopolitics crowd, um, which pretty much anybody that, that I consider to be a friend of mine doesn't associate with, but, um, because they're, um, if if in America they're out there, in the Balkans they're really out there. You know, and they had some guy, I, I think, who was actually at the ExoPolitics Spain conference recently in Bulgaria speaking, who claimed that uh, a secret, uh, let's see, what was the, it was the secret uh, American space force took him to Mars and he right. walked. He walked on the planet without uh, any, any type of spacesuit, and that every everything we've been told is you know is wrong. And and so there is that crowd in Bulgaria, just like there is anywhere else, I guess. And uh, um, I guess outlandish stories like that draw crowds anywhere. But the biggest sense that I get is that it's just a mystery that nobody. People are researching and, and have actively interested in, but aren't uh, aren't sure that they'll ever come up with an answer. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the government have to say over there in Bulgaria? Are they kind of mum on this whole thing, or do they sort of, you know, well, the, they get, you know I presume they're being pestered by the exopolitical people to say something, right? Well, they are. There's a, a actual Bulgaria has had two astronauts in the past, one of sure. whom is Alexander Alexandrov, and. Uh, Alexander Alexandrov is actively uh, asking the Bulgarian government to disclose any information that it has, like the UK government has, or you know, various other European governments. And um, uh, I have actually met the guy uh, in Sofia that does that sort of takes the what what is the equivalent of the Freedom of Information Act requests uh, over there, and uh, if there is anything to disclose. I'm pretty sure that guy would have done it by now because he's really sick and tired of answering those things. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anything, I bet the Bulgarian government and military and stuff are probably kind of out of the loop on a lot of this. They're completely you know, out of the loop. Yeah. Would yeah, you say I mean, that um, living in a country over which um, we fly to Afghanistan would make the citizens uh, more aware of the difference between top technology and um, something anomalous or no? 
Uh, definitely more, especially now that some of some flights are actually landing. Um, uh, there's a lot more air activity. Uh, essentially, what has happened is some of the Air Force stuff that uh, assets that were stationed in Germany have been relocated to Bulgaria. So I guess so that you know they're sort of closer to the to the action and, and sort of more of a rapid response type of thing. And so yeah, you know I've seen it myself. The last I was in country when which you know uh, you can see obvious you know F-16s flying, especially in the mountain regions, um, just like they do here, flying low. People have learned to identify what type of aircraft it is and whether it's ours or not, and and um, so, yeah, more aware, definitely. Are people seeing uh, rounded UFO craft, or are they seeing triangles, or what's the basic shape? Uh, most uh, are either diamond-shaped uh, or uh, triangles. Hmm. Which, again, could sound like our own technology, no? Exactly. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I, I want to, you know, I, I think, I still believe that there's something weird going on, and I, you know, and I still think that, you, you, UFO sightings are happening, and there are things, you know, there are people that I have, since we last spoke, one of the guys that, you know, he was my best man at our wedding. Um, he's actually seen a UFO, and he's one of the smartest guys that I know, and, and uh, if he if he can't explain it, and he saw it uh, up close for over a, a several, minute, several minutes, uh, you know, if he saw it, then he saw it. I, if he says he saw it, I have you know I would never doubt this guy. Now you train these cosmonauts to be in the in the in the ISS. Yeah, well, my job was uh, I was essentially um, doing. Uh, I was working with Russian, uh, American, uh, American astronauts, Russian cosmonauts. I also worked with a few other sort of French and Japanese, and uh, there's a Korean guy and. Uh, some Canadians, uh, and what we did, my my job function was a primarily um, communication support for for the program. But as far as training goes, my job was uh, information technology training and sort of how to repair things on orbit and that type of thing. Oh, that would be terrifying if something broke while you were in space. And I heard a story once. Maybe you've heard this. Um, and I think it was Paul Stonehill that, that told the story about um, the Russian cosmonauts up there in the space station, sometimes how they're in there for like a year or something like that, and, and right. uh, they end up hearing voices or something like that. That was a really rough version of the stories, but maybe you've heard it before. No, absolutely. In, in fact, uh, the the cosmonaut you're talking about, well, there, there are several Russian cosmonauts who have spent you know a year in space at, at a time. Uh, but one in particular uh, you're talking about is a cosmonaut named uh, Valery Korzun, who sort of got the what the Russians call cabin. Uh, what it translates to is essentially cabin fever, and uh, or they call it capsule fever. And he had uh, started hearing voices, and his adjustment back to being on Earth was was extremely rough. I understand. Jesus. So this was more like he kind of went a little crazy. It wasn't like they were. Well, I guess we will never really know, will we? If he really, if the voices that he heard were real or not, right? I mean, when right. you're up there in space, anything's possible, baby. That's how my attitude, you know. So, 
I mean, if I was stuck in a little capsule for a lot, like a year, if I started hearing voices, I'd probably believe it too. But I don't know. Sure. Well, it's you know, it's it's a very stressful situation. Uh, you know, well, he's up there with other people, right? I mean, they didn't hear the voices. They didn't hear the voices, right? Yeah, he was uh, up there at that time. He was up there with one other person. I'd you know, like to be that other dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the equipment didn't it. snap, but my co-pilot did. He's like, you listen, know. I'm just going to hang out in my bunker for a while, man. Oh, pretty geez. much, you know, past the vodka. That's pretty much how how it how it goes. <laughs> but you know, the thing is about in that job, you can't you know you can't really overstate uh, the effect that stress has on has on a person and. Uh, um, you know, I like, you know, just imagine, you know, you, you get up in the morning, you, you get up on Monday morning, you go to work, you know, and you're not getting off work for a year. Yeah, it's like prison, I bet. It's almost like prison. In a sense. It is. You can't absolutely. leave. You can't go outside or anything. It's like, that would drive you crazy, I bet. That's why the, the, the number one function of ground support people is uh, crew support, psychological support. Number one function. Um, you're, you're the best man at your wedding, your friend. Um, you said that he had a sighting for over an hour. Was, what, Absolutely. Was this close up? Was this far? Did, did the thing land? I mean, what was the nature of this? Uh, he was camping, uh, and uh, his name is Stanko. Stanko was camping, and he, uh, uh, near um, the city of Burgos, which is sort of in southeastern Bulgaria, again on the Black Sea coast. And uh, he saw a diamond-shaped object, uh, the way he described it to me is it could have been um, anywhere from uh, a mile to two miles away, uh, sort of just above the trees. And he described it as big as if he put his thumb out, uh, he couldn't cover it with his thumb uh, at that distance. And he saw it, and it sort of hovered and flew away, then came back and, and finally disappeared over the Black Sea. Hmm. No camera, eh? Uh, yeah, no cameras. Cameras present, and pictures were taken. Oh, really? Do you have? Uh, have you seen photos of it? I have seen photos of it. Is this something that we can put on the website? I can certainly. Uh, yeah, I can send you a digital picture. No problem. All right. Cool. Interesting. Nice. Another cool. exclusive. Um, so, tell us, you now have um, gotten your own podcast underway? Yeah, I heard uh, you're trying to put me and Jeremy out of business. Yeah, what's going on with that? It was a spur. Of, it was a spur of the moment thing, uh, <laughs> inspired uh, by you guys and what we wanted to do. Um, the name of the podcast is the Black Fridays, and uh, um, what we want to do is explore UFOs from the ground up. So walking into it, knowing essentially absolutely nothing. So, you know, some of the people that you speak with are sort of just walking encyclopedias so, and can name dates and times and you know sprout the people who are involved off the top of their head and so we wanted to come in and say okay we know absolutely nothing about the phenomena i mean for real uh besides what we're what we're learning about so let's start from scratch and so we started speaking with different people in the uh, in the field and you know have talked to people such as you know stan friedman we talked to richard dolan and uh, which is a really interesting guy, and um, trying to to uh, explore the subject without um, any preconceived notions, but also, and I know 
you know, I might take a little heat for this, but uh, my background, my, my educational background actually is, uh, I'm an engineer, but my minor was in anthropology and specifically um, biblical anthropology. And so it's always interested me the fact that from a sort of a cultural anthropology slash sociology standpoint that it's interest, it's an interesting thing to me that people are more than willing to believe that aliens are coming from other planets and visiting Earth uh, and all of these things are going on, but uh, they're not willing to believe, you know, not willing to even postulate the, the idea that, you know, this may be something, uh, I don't want to say demonic, but, but uh, something other than that. Something close uh, some kind of deception. Right. You know, and even with, you know, what you guys have explored on Peritopia with George Hansen and the trickster and, you know, I know Tim has, Tim has covered this subject and other, other shows have covered that subject and, but nobody is ever willing to say trickster equals, you know, the only person I've ever heard sort of talk about that is actually Jeff on, you know, when he's talked about early things that he believed uh, early on when he had his, his, yeah, that's always bugged me too. That that's what bothers me about actually George Hansen stuff is like, yeah, we're all tiptoeing around saying devil, demon, or you know that sort of thing. But I mean, isn't that? I mean, when you say a force that can you know pretend to be anything to cause us harm or just be malicious for malicious sake, um, what else are we talking about? Q from Star Trek? I mean, it's like exactly. These are our options, right? <laughs> exactly, and, and you know, and it, the thing is, is that you know, I'm not. We're not trying to push any, you know, any sort of religious beliefs off in any anybody, and you know, and uh, now my co-host Stacy is a is a uh, sort of a seminary student on hiatus right now. Um, so he he definitely has his preconceived notions about about things. But what we do is for everything that we've heard on Paranormal Radio. Uh, Religion is the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. and so we have said, "Okay, you know, we're going to go there, and 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 let's let's explore this." And so we've had we've had some really interesting conversations, and and we're not just limiting ourselves to uh, to the paranormal uh, topics. You know, we've we've covered some really interesting sort of sort of deep history and and uh, sort of I would just I don't know is para history a road a word, but. We, we've covered that kind of thing and had a, a really interesting response. So, well, I think it's a great way to go. You know, definitely start from scratch. Um, and I do think, you know, contrary to a lot of the stuff that I post on our forums, um, I mean, I smack people around a little bit for getting too religious sometimes because I, I just don't want it to turn into proselytizing and that sort of thing. And then I also go on some of these forums and I see people when they mention religion, it's like it's just all biblical quotes. Uh, or it's all just angel demon stuff. I mean, it's all very like just basic, uncomplicated mythology for the masses stuff that doesn't appeal to me. But um, not just Christianity, but pretty much every religion that that I can think of that I've read up on, um, they do have the deeper you go, they do have interesting um, things to say that do apply here. I think, or at least are worthy of. Uh, examination um that are not shallow sort of wish fulfillment aspects of the religion but clearly people who have delved deeply into consciousness and found some things there that might not have been them let's put it that way and 
and you know, and we're not limiting ourselves to um, the Christian faith uh, or any sort of Protestant faith. Um, we're in talks right now. We've been talking for a while with a guy who's actually a um, he's a Muslim cleric, uh, and he's been answering our questions, which we're just constantly bugging him with. But but uh, he hasn't agreed to come on the show yet. But he he, he we're, we're working on him, and we've we've we're talked with uh, uh, sort of a Hindi priest, a um, a Sikh, mm-hmm. and uh, a priest, and we've talked to um, a Buddhist guy, a Buddhist monk who um, is is going to come on the show, I think, and talk to us about sort of the Buddhist perception of of. Uh, the trickster and and you know how it manifests in our world and so that's that's what we're trying to explore interesting yeah uh, just talk case. to an amish guy he understood what they have to say <laughs> uh they sell vegetables in union square i could just go down there and grab them and fake fireplaces i think oh nice who's this amish yeah they, they do the farmer's market every weekend i didn't know they were that close to new york city um, yeah, I guess they were, were they? Upstate New York and Pennsylvania, I think, right? Don't tell oh, me yeah, to take the definitely. subway. <laughs> no, uh, horse and buggy only. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so what, give, give people your website so they know where to uh, find your podcast. Sure, it's www.theblackfridays.net. And we're available on iTunes and all that good stuff. And disinfo.com, uh, we're available there, too. Cool. Um, anything else, Tim? And just to follow up on on just what you were saying about the these religious folks that you talked to, I, I wasn't I didn't mean to be uh, smarmy by mentioning the Amish thing. I was sort of making a joke, but I am interested in um, you say you've talked to them. Uh, just generally, what's their attitude about uh, UFOs, UFO phenomenon, and trickster stuff? Because you know, all I've ever heard really is the American Christian Catholic sort of perspective. I don't really even know if too many other religions that have spoken out about it, except, I, uh, you know, you probably tie in the jinn thing with the, the Muslims. Well, the interesting thing to me so far has been, uh, you know, talking with the Muslim guy. Um, so, and I'm going to probably take a lot of heat, heat for this because I'm probably going to slaughter this, but my, um, my understanding is that essentially the Muslim faith believes that there are three orders of creation. There's the first order of creation, which is um, sort of the earth and the universe, and there's a second order of creation, which is plant, which is animals and people, and then there's a third order, and that third order is sort of jinns and angels and demons and all this other stuff, and so um, in the third order there are entities which require or use some sort of transportation to move about. And they, um, as I understand it, this is what they account, UFOs, you know. Uh, it was an interesting talk we had. We were, you know, has anybody ever seen a UFO in Afghanistan or in, or in uh, you know, in Saudi Arabia? Or, and what did they think it was? The answer I was given was simply, you know, well, it's something, you know, it was this type of gin or something which requires conveyance and and um the buddhist thing uh the interesting thing about um uh, and jeremy actually may know more about this than i do uh but uh 
the Buddhist guy is extremely reluctant to to really go into it, and it's like you know he's saying essentially, yeah, you know, we have this stuff, and I could tell you about it, but I'm not, because <laughs> because I'm not, you know, I just don't want to talk about it because. You know, I'll bring, I guess, bad karma or something to me. To oh, you know, and I, and, and I don't necessarily understand. Now, the the Hindi guy, uh, the Sikh of the Sikh, we were talking with, just uh, you know, has had UFO uh, UFO sighting himself in India, and um, he sort of had that duality going on of this is, you know, physically uh, there was something there. I saw it, so you know. Sort of my mind starts working scientifically. What was it? This type of thing. But on the other hand, he was saying, "Oh, this is you know the possibility of sort of bad uh, spirits was was there as well." So it's interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. With, with all the uh, telescopes uh, aimed out into space now uh, and satellites, um, it, does it seem likely to you that if these were aliens, we would we would we would be seeing them, and the fact that we're not means that they're here, <laughs> that they're under the atmosphere. Well, that's just it, isn't it? Um, because now uh, it's not just the United States government that's, or, or governments of the world that are operating these satellites or these telescopes. You know, there are plenty of private entities that are running these things that that have established presences in low low Earth orbit. And, you know, if the government, if something was seen or if something was recorded, um, there would have been no reason for them not to have announced it. In fact, you know, I mean, let's just apply a little common sense to, to it. If, you know, if I was running a constellation of telescopes and I saw a UFO, I could make a hell of a lot of money pretty quickly uh, by by uh you know announcing everything to the press and offering tour guides or something you know or, you know offer guided tours or something of my facility and and you know all the press I would get it would be wonderful marketing and so um yeah absolutely i think that uh if if there was anything coming from uh outside of our atmosphere into to, to coming to the planet i think we would know about it and it's just it's just not happening. So the idea is either you know yes they are here, which um, I had a very interesting talk. Uh, you and I and Tim were speaking before we started recording about the health situation with my nephew, and I actually had a really interesting talk with one of the uh, one of the doctors who was working with my nephew trying to make everything trying to figure out what was wrong with him, and and uh, you know he was telling me that he said you know if you think that the Earth is is really unexplored. And he said, and it is, uh, you know, in the ocean, let alone the ocean. He said, you know, the human brain is, is a complete mystery in re- in reality. I mean, and so, and that guy was a neurologist. So, um, can we have him on the show? <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I have a neurologist I've been working with trying to uh, discover what's going on with you. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, <laughs> His name He's is, not joking, folks. Either that's the scary part. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually having dinner with him uh, either this Friday or next Friday, and I'll, I'll ask him if he'll come on the show before he moves. But uh, uh, very fascinating guy, and uh, we've had some really interesting discussions about Mr. Vaney. 
<laughs> I, I just well, like the I, idea that you guys are having dinners and stuff and <laughs> talking about Jeremy unbeknownst to him. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, the, the, the only the only question that has never been answered is how thick is Jeremy's skull? <laughs> we've, we've, we've got to know this. Well, I am a white guy. Um, <laughs> I, 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 how thick is my – how would I know that? Can you uh, measure you, that? Yeah, yeah, it has to be measured. And the reason why is, is – um, the whole video of, of Jeremy doing his moves with uh, while hooked to an EEG, and mm-hmm. uh, that shows that pretty much you're you're in REM, uh, or you're in deep sort of deep sleeper, uh, deep uh, rest. Um, the thickness of the skull uh, will um, affect EEG readings, hmm. and um, so there are people uh, apparently. Uh, that EEGs just don't work on because their skull is actually too thick. <laughs> well, I'm kind of thick-headed. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Probably> me. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, it's good to know uh, <laughs> you're talking to a neurologist about me, and I haven't been locked up yet. So that's <laughs> that's good news. Um, yeah. Well, we would love to. I mean, we would love to have a neurologist on the show, and I'd, I'd love to to talk with him. Um, but, but I would suggest just in terms of my stuff, like I said, I mean, I started reading this book called Kundalini Awakening and it's uh, a whole bunch of essays from various people from psychologists to philosophers to whoever who know about Kundalini and a lot of, not all, but a lot of what they mentioned there, uh, is the stuff that happens with me and, um, and it completely all makes sense. Now, I, I think that I have, experienced something that I, ha- I haven't finished the book yet, but that I have not read in there yet um, with this Kundalini thing that makes me think that even the people who have this Kundalini activated think that that's enlightenment and it's not, that it's really like phase <laughs> phase one, which is bringing the body, uh, etc. if you want to say soul, body, soul, mental, spiritual, uh, to health for the next thing that happens. But in any event, that's that's another show for another time. But But I would just say... Google search that if you don't if you've never heard of Kundalini, um, and or Kriyas, which are the spontaneous movements, um, which is K R I think I Y A S or something like that. I think that's the way it's spelled. Um, so I mean, it's all out there. It's all out there in Hindu and Buddhist literature. It's just well, it's all out there in Sanskrit. I guess is the problem. And the Buddhist guy won't tell us anything. <laughs> yeah, and he ain't talking. So. <laughs> Um, well, thank you again, sir, for coming on the show and um, sharing another fascinating episode of this. I, I don't think we probably asked you on the last show. I don't think we did here. But just in closing, um, probably give us what we should have opened with, which is what attracts you to this stuff in the first place? Oh, I've been uh, following this for uh, since, you know, like I said in Paratopia before, um, I was – really paying attention to this and wasn't even aware that there was a, such a large group of people out there studying this until I actually had the opportunity to work in the space program. And now I guess I've been sort of bitten by the bug and, and, uh, uh, trying to figure out sort of what's going on just like everybody else, but trying to apply a little bit of reason and what I know from, you know, having actually worked in, uh, a real space program, uh, what it takes to 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 put something in orbit, and uh, just trying to find out what's going on, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta tip my hat to you. Uh, I do like what you're saying about your show, and just sort of bringing it 
back with a fresh perspective sort of idea because that's kind of what I've been advocating for a while as the way to present the UFO phenomenon to the public is say, you know, let's start from scratch here and take a fresh look at this. So uh, I like that you're doing that. Well, I appreciate it. And like I said, we're both big fans of Paratopia and we're both big fans of Banal of America. So it's been a real pleasure for me to speak with you guys tonight. This is Stanton Friedman, and you're listening to Paratopia. Uh, Tim Benal. So, what's going it? on? How how was how was this for you? Okay. Oh Jesus! You sound like I sounds like my after my first night in prison. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, dude, I had a great time. I I kind of just like I was saying, um, you know, off the air after we first taped the interview or whatever. You know, well, I'll just say it this way. Um, I just tried to stay out of the way, kind of at first, because I'm not used to guest co-hosting, so it was sort of like. I'm always afraid of like talking over people and stuff. Mm-hmm. This happens a lot when we do Lost Cast because we're all so excited about <laughs> right. the smoke monster or something, and then we all sort of chime in at the same time. So I sort of tried to stay out of the way, but I found it very interesting, especially the whole Bulgaria thing. You just don't hear much about that part of the world and what's yeah. going on with their UFO scene, and not surprised to hear there's an exopolitics group because they've spread all over the globe. So I I found that kind of not surprising, but interesting in a sense that you just sort of like tick that off the list where it's like, geez, Bulgaria too, wow. But no, I had a good time. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me as the guest co-host. Cool. Yeah, well, definitely uh, thanks for doing it. And um, I thought you were great. I thought Wes was great. I, th- I don't know. It was a good conversation. Yeah, thanks yeah. For- I had a lot of fun. And it's cool that he has so much experience in the real space program and can sort of speak to that. But he has an interest in the UFO phenomenon too, which is refreshing. Because yeah. usually you talk to people that like work for NASA and they probably don't want to even, if they tell you anything, you'll be like off the record. Well, this is what know? he said uh, on our last show was that um, when he was at NASA, people listened to Coast to Coast pretty much religiously. So that I'm doesn't not, surprise me, yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, I'd be interested to see, kind of like what I said to him, though, about the secret space program and everything. I just think that, like, if anybody in NASA knows anything about UFOs, it's probably like only a handful of people. At least that's what I figure. So. Yeah, I guess the, the point I remember making on the last show, which I kind of stand by, is that there's there's a finite amount of brilliant scientists in the world, and they would have had to have talked to each other, you know, in this country. I, I, I just think that eventually somebody from Skunk Works or Area 51 or whatever, I mean, unless they're being kept, kept under such lock and key that, that uh, they never see the light of day, I mean, they would have eventually said something to somebody. Um, that would have leaked out. Yeah, that's true. But then where does it get leaked out to? Us and the paranormal media? It's like it never gets any further than that. Well, scientific community, I don't know. I mean, it just seems it seems like it's... I guess I'm stuck in sort of a being stupid. <laughs> like, and I, I'm, just, I'm just now defeating my own thing. Because what I've been saying sort of is that it's impossible to keep a technology like that uh, under wraps. But I guess, um, you know... Other countries can't even get the nuclear bomb right, so 
perhaps. Oh, it like is. a secret, yeah, like secret, like anti gravity technology or something like that. Yeah, like somebody else would have invented it by now. Somebody else just randomly, some genius out there would have figured it out. I heard they like buy that shit from people that figure it out and then don't ever de- develop it. But I think that might also be like some esoteric urban legend. Well, there is. I mean, there's definitely corporations that buy uh, things like that. I mean, that's you know the electric car. Um, a, there, I remember there being a washing machine that worked with sound waves instead of water, uh, and that was bought up. So yeah, there are these things that that it's not too far fetched to think that that happens. Have you been watching the Olympics? Uh, I've been trying to watch the Olympics, but for like the last three days, it's been all curling, and I, I, I would rather uh, pull out my pubic hair with a fork, I think. Then. Wow. See, we're we're like polar opposites here. I've, You're a curling fan. I've fallen in love with curling. Yeah. Really? I'm not even joking. I've really been enjoying it quite a bit. Roomba it's... on ice with a with a couple of uh, windshield scrapers uh, and a shuffleboard. That's that's what curling is to me. It's very involving. It's sort of like, well, it's it's a lot like baseball. It's very slow. It's very deliberate. You wait around for a long time for something to happen that happens, like, really quickly. It's mm-hmm. like you wait and wait and wait for this little rock to get down to the end. And then it's like ping-pang-pong bounces off a bunch of things, and it's like, whoa, did you see the way he bounced that rock off that other rock? And then it twisted this <laughs> other, you know, so it's kind of neat like that. But I, it's like very... A cave, like a caveman sport? <laughs> Kind of, yes, yes. <laughs> and the, you can kind of tell that the people who have been covering it are starting to slowly go insane. We were talking about this actually on my forum. Because they, they also show it at like 3 a.m. And the guy who like, it, they show it all day, as you've said. And it ends like at 11 at night, and then it picks up again at like 3 in the morning. And every time when the guy closes it out at 11 at night, he's getting a little bit crazier every time. <laughs> we're like this, like a couple nights ago, he was just like, like for those people that can't get enough curling, put on a pot of coffee because <laughs> 3 a.m. curling starts in two hours. Uh, explain <laughs> to me why it's why it's the only event that's on my television. Isn't aren't there myriad events going on in, at the Winter Olympics? When did curling it, become the thing that gets all the TV coverage? It's gotten an inordinate amount of coverage, it seems. But the women who curl, at least every team has at least one really sexy girl or woman that uh, is curling. So that kind of adds to the intrigue of it. Yeah, that's just not enough for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very dry. I mean, if you, I want, like the, it if you want the hot noise. women, go to the uh, figure skating. That's true. That's true. But there's just some... I don't, I don't like the figure skating that much. I don't like most of the other events, actually. I did like the girl that that, that wiped out, because I have, like, a, a fatwa against her, uh, the one that... <laughs> She's like a snowboarder, and she was, like, leading last Olympics and was going to win the gold, and then she did some kind of, like, trick move to, like, show how cool she was and wiped out and got the silver. And they were like, she's looking for redemption this time around. And then she, like, wiped out, and I was like, good, fuck her. So, yeah. Plus, you know, it's too – it's a lot of jingoism. kind of rubs me the wrong way, the Olympics. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of, like, rah-rah America, which is, you know – yeah. I can get behind that a little bit, but then when it's like, we have 3,500 medals, and Germany has three. And it's like, yeah, dude, because we don't have anything else but sports in America anymore. <laughs> like, that's our only industry that's left, that and entertainment. It's like, we've, like, that's the only thing we export is sports and entertainment. So, <laughs> so 
you know, obviously we're going to do well at that. If they had some kind of math or spelling competition, we probably fucking wouldn't even get on the podium. <laughs> so, you know. You're pressing me, Tim. Tim, <laughs> <all>, everybody. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> well, that's just my take on the Olympics. I figured we needed some pop culture discussion here at the end. Job well done. Well played, sir. Uh, all right. Anything else before we uh, close out? No, nah, I don't think so. I think we're cool. Okay. Uh, in Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Jeff, for allowing it. We're making it happen, and hopefully he's back soon. And, you know, like I told the great country of the listeners out there, you can only look up from here. So, Jer. Jer, wake up. What? Wake up. Jeff, what are you doing here? Is it two months over? There never was a two months. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I just did a show with Tim Banal and Wes Owsley. Wes Owsley? Did we already interview that guy? Yeah, but you, you took two months off and then Tim Banal stepped in and... Wait a minute. Have I been sitting here at this podcast console the whole time asleep? Yeah. What time is it? It's like 3 a.m. Jesus. Oh, well. All right, you want to get started on a show, or, uh... I'm a little tired, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's, is that, I think that's ironic. <laughs>